of Heart Health, brought to you in partnership with the Providence Heart Institute and Boston Scientific. The Providence Heart Institute is a leading integrated network of cardiovascular care with a focus on putting our patients at the heart of everything we do. And we're committed to making a positive difference in every life we touch. As part of that commitment, we're bringing the doctors to you. Joining me today is Dr. Lita Turner, the Medical Director of Ambulatory Psychiatry at Providence Swedish in Seattle. Today, we're going to be discussing the link between your mental health and your cardiovascular health. Hi, Dr. Turner, it's great to see you today. Hello, thank you for having me. So before we get started, could you take a moment and tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do at Providence Swedish? Sure, um, so I am a psychiatrist. I am the medical director, as you said, of the ambulatory psychiatry uh, group at Providence Swedish. And this includes the ambulatory consultation psychiatry team, as well as the women's reproductive psychiatry team. Um, I work on the ambulatory consult team, which is basically embedded in primary care. And we work with primary care doctors and their patients to make sure that they get the care that they need. Well, that's great and welcome. You know, I'm really excited about our conversation today because if you were to ask the average person what they should be doing to have a healthy heart, most of them would probably say, don't smoke, get exercise, eat your fruits and vegetables. I think that not too many of them would talk about their mental health. So let's start there. What's the link between mental health and heart health? Mind-body connection is a very real thing. Nothing ever is just in your head and, and illnesses or injury anywhere in the body can greatly affect how you feel, how you think, and what you do. Um, there are examples that are specific to the heart-mind connection. Um, it's like Kubo cardiomyopathy or broken heart syndrome. It's a rare illness, but it's a sudden temporary weakening of the heart muscles in response to great emotional stress. So a person can quite literally have a broken heart. Um, in terms of more common cardiac issues, for folks having chronic heart failure in which your heart has a hard, harder time pumping blood, you can likely experience some amount of cognitive or executive functioning issues. Your focus might not be as sharp. Your get up and go might be slower. Um, sudden changes in your heart health can lead to issues like depression and anxiety and vice versa. So there's, there's a very strong connection between those two things, between your mental health and your cardiac health. Yeah. Well, let's take, let's take one example of, of, you know, the, the physical piece of this, like blood pressure, how does mental health affect blood pressure or does it? It definitely does. Um, so, you know, people experiencing depression, anxiety, stress, PTSD, anything like that over a long period of time, you know, can experience lots of different physiologic effects on the body. And so increased cardiac reactivity is a big thing. So increased heart rate and blood pressure. Um, and so over time, this can cause um, a lot of issues for your heart. Um, you know, when we have a lot of different stressors going on, we can develop panic, we can develop all sorts of things. And so our blood pressure can go up. Um, and stay up if it's kind of a chronic issue. I think that's really good to know. Another interesting thing is that there have been some recent studies that suggest that loneliness has a negative effect on the heart. Does loneliness or social isolation lead to greater risk of cardiovascular disease? 
and we think that it would lead to a, a risk of, of a lot of different diseases. We're pack animals, um, you know, by evolution, we, we like to be around people, even if we're introverted, there's some amount of energy that we can, and safety we take uh, being around others, um, safety being in numbers, you know, um, and loneliness and isolation is a type of stressor. So kind of chronically being alone, chronically being isolated, especially if you're not comfortable in that space. Again, if you're not an introverted person or if you're not kind of a, um, there are, and there are a few people who do really enjoy just being by themselves and they're fine there. But if you're not, that can be a, a bigger issue. When we're with other people, we have feel good endorphins come out. We laugh, we talk, we learn, we have all these things that help us age well and in turn you know would also help any of our other health matters so our heart you know our um brain everything is just it's it's important to be around others and be engaged with other people social activity um even if it's just being with somebody not even having to do anything or say anything that can be a, a, a great help yeah that's fascinating to me and so we talked about loneliness. What other social or external factors could potentially lead to heart disease or, or influence heart disease? Um, so other other social factors, external factors, things. I mean, th there's a lot of physical things there. You know, smoking and, and drinking to excess, poor diet or poor nutrition, um, lack of exercise or movement. All of those things um, can lead to heart disease and you know, the, like we've said, lots of different um, untreated mental illness can definitely increase risk of heart disease um, if not treated properly. It, it seems like anxiety is going up as, as a society even. How does anxiety present in cardiac illness? It can present several ways. Um, when I worked in the um, cardiac clinic at the University of Washington, I saw several patients who uh, had just had a pacemaker placed. And pacemakers, um, how they work is that if you if your heart rate is abnormal, or there's something going on, it shocks you, it resets the heart rate to go back to normal. And that or prepping for that can be anxiety provoking. Um, as well as the, the arrhythmia itself, that abnormal heart rate can create chest pain or pressure or discomfort, which is what a lot of times panic or the start of panic can feel like. Um, so those things overlap. And, and so you get it kind of before cardiac illness and you can get it after and kind of anywhere in between and can develop change based on kind of your fears or, or your concerns about it and, um, and kind of lying in wait. Um, so that pacemaker one is, is, is pretty scary for folks when they're, they're just waiting for that shock to go off. Sometimes it goes off, um, you know, abnormally, you need a new one, that sort of thing. So that can increase your, your anxiety around that. Um, panic attacks, you know, for anyone who's not had one, you know, you start, for some people, you can start with, with chest pain, chest pressure, shortness of breath, numbness in your arms or your hands, tingling, this sort of thing. And that's what a heart attack can feel like. So it's very scary. And usually people interpret this as, am I having a heart attack? And they wind up at the emergency room and then you do the cardiac workup and, and there's, you know, it's no normal. So what's going on? It, it's 
you know, a panic attack. And there are other reasons why you could be having panic, but, but those things that's people always think they're having a heart attack. It's like a very common thing. Um, and then, you know, afterwards people are fearful that anytime they have those sorts of symptoms again, that sort of thing is happening again. And so, you know, you have to kind of work with your, with your care team to understand what sorts of symptoms are concerning, when to go in, when to pay attention, you know, when to try to work through um, decreasing your anxiety, decreasing your panic, how to do these grounding exercises, all these different things you can do to kind of manage that anxiety. But that overlap is massive. And, and yes, every, I'd say everyone right now is a lot more anxious these days. <laughs> it's a really, really big issue. Yeah, well, thank you for that. And I, I hear a lot of providers talk about the the worried well, or, or maybe some degrees of, of, of health anxiety. You know, you mentioned people thinking that they have a heart attack. How do you differentiate between, you know, somebody that has arrhythmia, or maybe somebody that's had too much coffee late in the day, or somebody that is having chest pains due to cardiovascular disease, and somebody who is very stressed out or very anxious. And I think that that people struggle with that quite a bit mm -hmm. is, is really knowing um, what is a true symptom of the, the disease and what might be related to anxiety. How, how do you help people work through that? Well, you don't want to ignore anything. So, um, you know, in the case of my own family members, I've had people say, oh, I'm, I'm fine. I'm just a little anxious. And in fact, they've had a heart attack. Um, <laughs> so wow. it's important to pay attention to your body and pay attention to these symptoms and get the appropriate workup. And, you know, the more, you know, because we can't in the moment differentiate um, if you're having a panic attack or a heart attack, if you've never had a panic attack or a heart attack before, especially. So it's important to go to the emergency room and treat it as the emergency it is to make sure that you get that appropriate workup, make sure that your heart's not, you know, at risk of anything and that you can treat it. Um, and as you go along, you know, people start to develop, if they have a recurrent panic disorder where they're having panic more frequently, they can tell usually that it's a panic attack and when it does feel different and they start approaching those things slightly different. However, if you have any sort of ongoing concerning symptoms like that, you definitely want to go in and get checked no matter what. So, you know, there are, there's always concerns of overuse of the medical system, but the emergency room and your primary care physician, like this is why they're there. We, we want to help you. We want to make sure that you're healthy and you're getting the care that you need. Um, you know, if you've had recurrent anxiety, panic, the sort of thing, and you've had a full workup done, you've had a lot of labs done, this sort of thing, and you're still kind of questioning what's going on, you know, trying to do therapy, medication, other stuff at the same time and seeing if those symptoms reduce. And if they do, then we're kind of on the right track. But you don't want to ignore any of it. You don't want to poo-poo it as, you know, oh, it's just anxiety or it's just this. We want to make sure that it's not something else. That's great perspective. Thank you. So we talked about we talked about anxiety. We talked about loneliness. Are there any specific mental illnesses that have been linked to an increased risk of heart disease? There definitely have. So, um, you know, if you if you if you're looking it up, if you're looking at different uh, mental illnesses, I mean, there's this broad swath. But what I said before, depression, anxiety, PTSD, things that have kind of more of a chronic um, nature to them. Um, 
over a long period of time, you can experience lots of different physiologic effects, like I was saying. Um, and so those things, increased heart rate, increased blood pressure, reduced blood flow to the heart, you can have heightened levels of cortisol. And over time, those physiologic effects can lead to calcium buildup in the arteries, metabolic disease and, and heart disease. Um, and then also on top of that, you know, these sorts of disorders, um, uh, people tend to self-medicate at times as well. So, so you can start to develop behaviors with like smoking and active lifestyle um, and kind of failing to take medications, drinking, this sort of thing. And this also leads to, you know, worse off health um, in, and increase the, the risk of heart disease. Um, and, and then, of course, there's there's certain types of treatments out there that can also increase um, issues. So things like antipsychotics, the types of medications that we can provide for folks. It's important to know that there's a risk to anything that you do for your treatment. And, and one of the risks with that medication in particular is that it can increase um, metabolic issues um, for some people. And so that, that can also increase your risk of heart disease. So we have to pay attention to that as part of the treatment plan. Got it. Got it. Okay, so people get a lot of reminders and education around taking care of their physical health when it comes to their heart. How can people remind themselves that taking care of their mental health is just as important as taking care of their physical health? Well, you know, everything kind of starts with your mental health. It starts with your mindset. It starts with um, your energy levels, how you're feeling. All that, all that is where when you're going to do something physical, your mental, your mental state has to be there too. Um, you know, taking mental breaks to, throughout the day. We always talk about getting up from your desk and walking around or taking a stretch, that sort of thing. It's just as important to, you know, take a moment to kind of ground yourself, remember where you are, kind of take yourself away from the computer screen um, and reset everything. When we take care of our mental health, we have an easier time taking care of our physical health. You know, making sure we get enough sleep uh, is so important. And, and I, I, you know, cannot stress this enough with, with folks. The difference between six and seven hours and seven and eight hours is massive uh, for your, you know, cognitive functioning, for your um, ability to engage in, in work and kind of sustained um, energy focus. Um, and then, you know, things like if you're trying to lose weight, if you're trying to, um, do anything that's that's more physically taxing, having good sleep will help you with that. So it's just as important to kind of pay attention to those pieces because they're two two parts of the, you know, the same coin. We have to pay attention to both. So it sounds like everybody has your permission to get a good night's sleep. Doctor's yes. <laughs> Doctor's orders for sure with that. <laughs> that's great. Well, so we spent a lot of time up until now talking about how mental health can help prevent cardiovascular disease. I'd like to pivot a little bit and talk about those, those people that have, have suffered a cardiac event. Maybe they've had a heart attack, maybe they've undergone cardiac surgery. So I'd like to talk a little bit about the role of mental health in recovery from a cardiac issue or a cardiac event. Um, and there's been, there's been, quite a bit of, of literature around people who feel depression or feelings of isolation after they've had a heart attack or after they've had cardiac surgery. For those people, what do you recommend to address those feelings? 
Depression is very common after a heart attack. Again, that mind-body connection is very strong. It's it's a very common thing for folks to actually need antidepressant medication after a heart attack. Um, it's important to discuss with your care team, with family members, with friends, trusted individuals, um, just to check in. Uh, you know, having had a life-changing event, having a heart attack, something like that, changes. You know how you're feeling. It, you might be. A, a more aware of your own mortality, which is quite scary when you start to feel that. And so it's normal to be upset. It's normal to be scared. It's normal to kind of have sadness. The, the question is, is where, what, where does that turn into depression and when to seek treatment for that? And that you have that conversation with everybody. It's important to um, figure out if you should be on medication, if you should be seeing a therapist. I mean, Therapy is always helpful for supporting one, um, no matter what, even if you don't have mental illness, if you're you're dealing with stress, if you're dealing with concerns about this transition in life and, and, and having had a heart attack, talking to somebody who is aware and can give you support and advice with that, super helpful, can be really validating. Well, what type of emotional support beyond therapy should people recovering from a cardiac issue seek? Definitely encouraging family, friends, trusted individuals, working with your care team, being close with your care team, um, letting them know what's going on, having support in many different ways um, can be validating, can help. Um, suffering alone leads to you know more panic, more anxiety, more concerns about things because you're not sure if, if what you're experiencing is more serious or not. So definitely, opening up and, and being um, present with family and friends and having them help support you, I would say. That's great advice. And, and along those lines, how can friends and family both physically and mentally support a loved one who's dealing with a cardiac issue or recovering from a cardiac event? So family, friends and family, providing safe and supportive place, um, you know, holding space for someone, being um the listening party, not necessarily having to do much more than listen and just hold space. Um, big practical things, being aware of how you interact with them, with you know, the person who's struggling and avoiding what I call shooting on someone. Um, so instead of you should go for a walk, your doctor said so, try, I'm going for a walk, would you like to come? Um, it's it, it kind of takes the pressure off of that person and doesn't shame them for not doing something, but encourages them to do something with you, which is an engaging um, activity and can be helpful. Um, you know, they have to have that choice to engage and, and let people know that you're there for them. Um, if you have more serious concerns about somebody, you can always reach out to that person's care team um, and share those concerns. There's, there's no, no concerns about, you know, we might not be able to share information with you if you're not in the chart of somebody who is a, um, you know, a sharing party or, or the, you know, DPOA or something like that. But you can always share those concerns. You say, hey, they're not coming in. I have concerns that they're depressed. I have concerns about this. When they see you next, can you ask them, you know, about this? Or can you please just... You, you have the ability to kind of share your concerns. So remember to, to engage with them, trying not to use any sort of judge, judgment-based language. Try to engage with them from the perspective of, I want to do this and I would love it if you joined me. Um, and then just sharing with their care team if you need to. That's really helpful. Now you touched upon going for a walk 
or, or getting exercise. How does a healthy diet and light physical activity contribute to mental health after a cardiac episode? So our nutrition fuels our body. And, you know, we often talk about diet and think about what things we have to take out <laughs> of our, um, you know, what we're eating. Uh, and, and I try to make sure that folks know that, you know, nutrition is more about putting good things in rather than taking bad things out because it kind of helps build that habit of, of, of getting the good things um, or the healthy things, I should say. And, you know, the, the exercise, the, the light exercise can be really helpful for, you know, again, strengthening our muscles and the heart is a muscle, right? So we need to have that exercise there too, the cardiovascular exercise. And those two things together, you know, super important. They, both of those things can improve your mental health, decrease your risk of, of depression and sadness and anxiety because you're releasing endorphins when you're exercising. Um, you know, all these things that are feel good. They, again, all linked together. What I hear quite a bit from patients that have had a heart attack or have gone through cardiac surgery or other type of procedure is the amount of change that, that patients feel that they have to make very quickly can be pretty overwhelming. They're told they need to exercise. They need to now be eating new foods. They need to be following different routines. What are a few tips that people have found helpful to approach those changes to make a lasting impact but also to reduce the feeling of being overwhelmed because it can be a lot, as you know. Oh, it, it can be a ton. Um, and, and I say, you know, start small first and foremost, start small. Um, and, and really if you're able to, and, and people are often very just overwhelmed hearing all the information, so they don't know how to process it. That's a very common thing that happens. Have somebody who knows what to prioritize, tell you what to prioritize. So if you have a lot of different choices, you know, you want to do the one that's going to be the easiest thing for you and the biggest return on your investment. And you might not know what that is unless you talk to somebody who can say absolutely prioritize X. So you can kind of take away some of it um, and kind of focus on the one that really needs to be changed first. Uh, and then it's, you know, build up. It's smaller steps first. It's identifying barriers that you might have to engaging in these changes. Um, and changing mindset around them to, again, not taking away, but adding to, <laughs> um, you know, and, and thinking about how anything counts is the big thing. We often will get into this all or nothing type thinking where if I don't do all these things, it's not worth it to do any of them. So if I, or if I failed at one, I'm failing at all of them. And that is, it's not helpful. It's not, you know, that type of thinking can just get us stuck. Um, so focusing on the wins, taking small steps and, and remembering that anything kind of anything counts. So if it's, you know, get some exercise, you can stretch in your chair. If that's what you've got, that's what you've got. Um, you can get up, stand up, do some um, stretching, do some walking if you're able to, you know, you don't have to go for a, a, you know, a half hour to an hour long walk or, or some sort of other exercise program. You can do smaller things, um, nutrition, you know, changing your diet means could mean just adding to it, changing the seasonings first and then going from there. Um, massive changes like stopping smoking, that sort of thing. Those are big changes, but that that that's a big bang for your buck right there. So that's something that's, you know, if you have only the bandwidth to deal with one thing, 
again, that would be the one that I'm assuming that your cardiologist would be like, let's get you to stop, like stop smoking and everything else will kind of follow. Focus on one thing at a time. Well, this has been such a great conversation around a complex topic. Is there anything else that you'd like to leave us with? Anything that we didn't cover? Any last pieces of advice that you really want to stress to, to the show? Yeah, just adding to that last little bit that, you know, no one, no one's perfect. <laughs> and it is a constant trial and error process. And, and we won't always be able to be healthy in the same ways as we age or after injury or surgery or having an event like this. So goals can shift, you know, working on on being flexible with that and knowing that it's okay that that sort of thing changes. And then it's easier to stay motivated if you have others who are motivated with you. So staying active socially and in your own community, um, just making sure that you stay engaged. Those things are really important. Well, thank you, Dr. Turner, for joining us today on Heart Matters. Thank you for having me. We look forward to continuing the important conversation on heart health and wellness with more experts from Providence in future episodes. Make sure to listen to all our shows on Dash Radio under Future of Health Radio or your favorite podcast platform. And follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our mission, programs, and services, go to providence.org. And for more information on Boston Scientific, visit bostonscientific.com. And please remember, the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Thanks for listening. And remember, at Providence, we see the life in you. Thank you.